0: Good afternoon and welcome. You're listening to Walk the Talk with Kim. I am Kim Ariano, and we are here on this blustery almost summer day in Seattle, and I want to welcome everybody listening to the Walk the Talk show. I want to give a special shout out and thanks to our sponsor, Pearson Law Firm. Expect expert representation and a kind, compassionate attitude. That is the Pearson promise. And of course, we heard Michelle last week on Walk the Talk with Kim, as we do at the fourth Wednesday of each month where she comes on and talks about issues that you need to know in relation to legal matters and driving and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, Michelle and the folks at Pearson Law Firm are an incredible organization that really has a heart um, for the underdog and for helping people through difficult situations. So please do consider Pearson Law Firm. Even if you have a question they have free consultations and that's Pearson Law uh, at uh, PearsonLawFirm.com. And Again, uh, we want to thank our sponsors for helping us uh, with the Walk the Talk with Kim show. We also want to let you folks know about a couple of really fun events that are coming up. Uh, Our first event is on June 26th at Meadow Creek Business Center in Issaquah. At 530, we are going to have a class, and this class is Understanding People's Perceptions what people say and how they actually feel are typically two completely different things. So we're going to give you some tools and techniques on how to kind of differentiate the two. And uh, we that should be a lot of fun. You can find out more information on that. At WorkforceEvolution.com. Again, WorkforceEvolution.com. Without any further ado, we want to welcome Eric. Hi, Eric. How are you?
1: Hey, good afternoon, Kim. How are you on this I'm fine Wednesday?
0: Very, very well. Thank you very much. But I'm a little tired of the rain. Of course, that's what everybody keeps saying. And, you know, we do live in the Pacific Northwest, however. Well, we we
1: had like three weeks of gorgeousness, so we can have a week of a little <laughs> bit of cloudiness and a little bit of rain. That's not a big deal. It's,
0: well, it's not that. And usually I'm very, very chipper about the Things I live in the Pacific Northwest, it really doesn't bother me. But this time around, it's starting to kind of starting to kind of get to me. I well, think.
1: I know I was thinking to myself, even as I was saying that, that there's people listening in their car going, "Shut up, shut up! I hate the rain. Why? Why? You know? You're so wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, hey, I just don't mind it.
0: No, well, that's good coming from a transplant from California.
1: Well, true enough. Yep. I, I guess I absorbed enough sunshine in my lifetime to put up with it the rest of my the life. you all vitamin
0: yeah. D forever. Good for you. <laughs> we went to the ocean this weekend down to um, Cape Disappointment. And uh, it was very disappointing the first day because it oh. rained really, really hard. But mm-hmm. the second day, the uh, sun came out and we were really excited to so be down there. So aptly
1: named one day and yet the other day. Cape not Disappoint, so much. I yeah. guess,
0: one day to point. But no, it was a gorgeous even place. It was
1: called Fort Camby for years and years right. and years, but they changed it back to Cape Disappointment because that's uh, originally what the Lewis and Clark uh, team called it when they reached it. Um, and because they thought it was somewhere else, I think. yeah. and uh, and so they changed it back in celebration of the Lewis and Clark uh, centennial or Bicentennial.
0: Something like that. Yeah. yeah, And so yeah, you learn all about. Lewis and Clark when you go down to Cape Disappointment again Fort Canby and that's what we did when we went down there my friend and I took our kids down there my, the husbands were back at camp yeah. and uh, we were at the state park down there and we walked to the lighthouses and we walked around Fort Canby. It's and... an
1: amazing park you've got two lighthouses you've got the ocean you've got the river of, of the uh, opening the mouth of the, the Columbia, Columbia. Mm-hmm. and you've got like three lakes in the park yes. and they've got yurts and oh it's, oh, it's, yeah, it's an a awesome great place, place to yeah. go and it's the a beautiful park. The Long Beach park. Peninsula Right Long there.
0: Beach, yeah, exactly. And I was able to get out and fly my kite, which I love to fly kites, and so that's a great place to fly. And so uh, we even got our kite flying in. The dogs got around. We even saw a dead sea lion, is Aww. what we guessed on the beach. <laughs> so it was fun for everybody. <laughs> We had a really, really great time. And welcome, Lindsay is Hi. here. Lindsay is our media producer. And I hope uh, those of you that have been on Facebook uh, for Walk the Talk with Kim have been noticing that uh, Lindsay's posting some really great stuff on there. And definitely uh, want you to go to Walk the Talk with Kim on Facebook and like our page. Uh, your likes help other organizations uh, get the word out there about some really great things going on, as well as uh, you can listen to the rebroadcast of the show in case you miss it. And uh, how's it going, Lindsay? Pretty good. It's wonderful. Having fun? Mm-hmm. So, in addition to the media producer, Lindsay is a full time student at uh, Bellevue College studying nursing. So, she's got a lot going on. So much. <laughs> so much going on. Well, um, at some point, that will never end. <laughs> Probably not. Not with me. Awesome. <laughs> Well, we do have a really jam-packed show. We wanted to get everything in the first five minutes today because I am so excited about our guest today. Um, I've heard this woman speak three times now, and every time I hear her speak, I am just enthralled and just completely wrapped with attention. You would think that she was talking for 10 minutes after an hour and a half of, of speaking. She's got some incredible stories. Her name is Helen Thayer. And she was born in New Zealand, and uh, we'll bring her on. She can tell you more about her background, but she is one woman who has done some incredibly extraordinary things all over the world. She's hiked to some incredible areas. Uh, and has uh, pioneered and been the first in a lot of different places. And uh, we want to invite her on today, I think, because there's some lessons that are learned uh, in terms of planning and goal setting that we want to talk about. But I think mostly I want to uh, have our listeners kind of really enjoy her stories and be inspired that anybody, if you've got a goal You can do it, and if anybody has proven that, it's Miss Helen Thayer. So we wanted to invite and give a big go-walk-the-talk-with-Kim. Hello to Helen Thayer. Helen, welcome. Thank you. How are you doing today?
2: Very well, thank you. Enjoying a bit of sunshine. Is it sunshine where you're at? Yes, it is,
0: Uh Oh. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I like I said, I've seen you talk, uh, give three different presentations and, and each presentation um, we were so thankful was around uh, the books that you had written. So I feel like I've gotten to know you um, from these you know, big adventures that you've had. But for listeners that aren't familiar with you or your work, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what what the Adventure Classroom is all about.
2: Well, I was born and raised in New Zealand and began uh, climbing mountains with my parents when I was nine years old. Then that um, progressed from there to high-altitude climbing, which simply means climbing mountains over 20,000 feet high in various parts of the world. Um, Then I represented three countries uh, on their national team, a track and field team, that is, um, New Zealand, the country of my birth, and Guatemala, where my eventual husband was pilot and a helicopter pilot, and then, of course, United States. After I became a, a citizen, and then I went on to the sport of luge to become United States national luge champion. But m- mountain climbing was my was my real passion. And then, uh, one day, as I was standing on the summit of Peak Communism at almost 25,000 feet, uh, in Tajikistan, I realized that I really needed to share my experiences with other people. So, you might say uh, my project, educational project. It uh, was really born on the summit of um, peak communism at about 25,000 feet. And my goal in, for, peak, for, um, adventure, uh, comment, uh, for Adventure Classroom is to bring the four corners of the world, to kids, K through 12, into the classroom and into, into assemblies and, um, and various, various other groups, uh, boys and girls clubs, scout clubs, girl, girl guide clubs and so forth, um, to teach them about this, uh, this great big world that they're going to inherit and, uh, and also to um, respect other cultures. My husband and I are a two-person team and we're at present uh, touring the world and living with um, as many indigenous cultures that we can reach. And, of course, most of them are very ancient um, and amazing lifestyles and there's much to learn from these people to bring back to teach the kids about about other cultures and to um, instill in respect for other cultures.
0: And so on that front, the uh, not the last one that we talked about, but I know uh, one of your books, uh, Walking the Gobi, I believe is the name of the book, yes. that you uh, lived with Berbers in the Sahara Desert for a little while.
2: Yes, I, uh, my husband and I, in <clears throat> the game, are always just a two-person team. If I'm not alone, then then we're, we're I'm with my husband, and uh, we walked this time, this was just last year, we walked 900 miles in a very remote, um, very difficult part of the Sahara Desert, um, leading our four camels, and we actually traveled with the Berber tribe. Uh, they were on their way to find a new source of water, and so we joined them with our four camels, and they had 12 camels, and off we went across the uh the desert and it was an amazing experience to actually live their life and uh, experience um, events as they unfolded along the journey with these people.
0: And how how do you make the decision about what you're going to do next? I mean, there there would be so many different places from a four corners perspective of of where you can go. Do you look and decide on a place based on the degree of difficulty? <laughs> is that one of your litmus tests, or uh, no? Is there... uh,
2: what, the litmus test is education. Uh, can we first of all can we go in to that area? Can we interact with the indigenous culture there, um, with the the local flora, fauna, geography, and can we bring back a meaningful program that will impact um, the educational program that bring a new a new a new look at education, a new way of bringing the world to kids, and many of these kids, of course, might never might never travel uh, very much, might not have that opportunity, but through our eyes, our photography and our speeches and uh, writing, then uh, we can share what we learn and what we see.
0: We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more with Helen Thayer and her Adventure Classroom. And you can find out more information at www.adventureclassroom.org. Come on back. We have more stories for you. You're listening to Walk the Talk with Kim.
3: Hi, I'm Jerry Pearson, and with my wife, Michelle, we're local residents just like you who have a passion to help those who have been harmed or wronged in our communities. If you have a personal injury from a car crash or a property hazard, an industrial injury, a defective product or nursing home neglect issue, the Pearson Law Firm can help you anywhere, anytime. Contact us today for a free case evaluation at 1-800-423-8473. The number again is 1-800-423-8473. Or check us out at walkthetalkwithkim.com.
0: Mountside Gymnastics Academy is now open in North Bend, offering gymnastics classes and summer camps to get your little ones and big ones moving this spring and summer. From recreation classes to competitive team, they have the gymnastics scene covered in the valley. Visit them online at www.mountsidegymnasticsacademy.com or call 425-292-3152. Get your kids flipping and twisting into summer.
1: Do you wish you could train your brain to be more creative? ThinkShop can help. For 16 years, ThinkShop has trained individuals at Fortune 500 companies, small businesses, and nonprofits. Learn our proven process to think creatively and make great ideas happen. Our trainings are offered in person and online. Learn more at thinkshop.com. Accelerated weight loss, and everyone's a winner. You too can lose up to 30 pounds in 30 days. It's about science, not celebrities. No HCG, just award-winning science-based nutrition and natural botanicals. Join 10,000 satisfied clients. For information, contact MyWeightLossWellness at gmail.com and mention Walk the Talk with Kim.
4: Open your ears, open your heart, open your mind. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM.
0: You're listening to Walk the Talk with Kim. Welcome back to the show. We are talking with Helen Thayer of Adventure Classroom. The website is adventureclassroom.org. And um, Helen is born in New Zealand, and you can hear by her story that she has had quite a life. Um, Your parents were friends with Sir Edmund Hillary, if I remember correctly. Is that right, Helen?
2: That's right. He was a family friend, and he uh, was, uh, along with my parents, was responsible for getting me into the sport of climbing.
0: And so at a very young age, how old were you when you climbed your first mountain?
2: Nine years old. It was 8,500 foot Mount Taranaki in the center of the North Island of New Zealand.
0: Now, is that the same mountain where you got your inspiration for Adventure Classroom?
2: No, no. That was many years later. Um, I was just nine years old uh, when um, I first started climbing, but I was 48 when I decided to uh, develop Adventure Classroom, and that was on the peak of uh, the 25,000-foot peak communism in Tajikistan. So Uh a lot of water flowed under the bridge between the the day I started climbing and the day I started to, the day I I decided to uh, develop Adventure Classroom.
0: Now, it sounds like your husband is also a quite accomplished uh, uh, hiker as well.
2: Oh, yes. He's an accomplished athlete. He was actually, he and I were both on the 1973-74 National, United States National Lose Team. And um, <clears throat> he's a retired helicopter pilot, and he's uh, definitely an adventurer, an adventurer in his own right.
0: Wow. The last time that you came and presented to the group, uh, you came to Snoqualmie Valley Women in Business and have talked about your travels, which is incredible. Unfortunately, we're on the radio, so we can't see the pictures, um, but the pictures are spectacular. And of course, your your stories are so riveting. But this last one that you talked about was something that was a bit near and dear to my heart. You know, in addition to um, meeting Berbers out in the Sahara, you also went and lived among wolves.
2: That's right. My husband and I, and Charlie, the um, the uh, Inuit dog or Eskimo dog, who the, he walked to the pole with me when I walked alone to the magnetic North Pole at age fifty. Um, Charlie walked at my side um, to protect me from polar bears. Then, of course, he came home with me. Um, because of his wolf heritage, we thought that he might be a link between us and the and a pack of wild wolves. It was just an experiment. We really didn't know if it would work, but it did work. To make a long story short, it did work, and we were actually able to live with three packs of wild wolves um, for the during the course of an entire year.
0: Amazing, and you. What struck me as you were telling the story about how you approached the wolves and, and how close you got, and it, it was amazing because you really had to go in, anyone that understands um, pack mentality, you really had to go in as very submissive.
2: Yes, exactly. We had to go in um, as Charlie's a pack. Um, we wanted to um, show that he was our alpha leader. We were his pack. And so he had to be very submissive to the alpha male of the summertime pack. And he, And so, of course, we had to show submission as well.
0: And so are you planning on going back and seeing what's going on with that wolf pack? Or yes, are we've you, been back several times to
2: check. And they're doing fine. The, the den continues to be used, and it's um, the family, of course, changes over the years. Uh, but they 're there, and the hunters haven 't got to them because it 's in an extremely <clears throat> inaccessible area. It takes technical climbers, which is what we are, um, to even get into that area so um, and this is why we chose that area to study wolves, so that the hunters wouldn 't get to them
0: and do you Do they recognize you when you come back? No, what we do uh we
2: lived with uh, the wolves for a year, but uh, in um, when we go back, we don't want them to become too habituated to humans. So we, we uh, climb a high um, ridge that we can, uh, 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 some distance away from the den, but we can look down in the direction of the den and we can see it, especially through binoculars, mm-hmm. so that we're not continually turning up um, because they don't need to become too, too uh, quiet around humans all right. the time. And is Charlie still with you? He passed on at age 23. Wow. Which for a 100-pound dog, they say, was some sort of a
0: record. That's amazing. He had quite a life to live with you as well.
2: Oh, yes. Whatever Charlie
0: wanted, Charlie got. (laughs) Can you tell us the story? It's a great story. And how you met Charlie?
2: Well, three days before I walked, first of all, I walked to the Magnetic North Pole alone. I was the first woman to do so. But that wasn't the reason I did it. It was to begin the uh, Adventure Classroom project. Um, and I thought that this one would be a good educational program to start the whole project off with. And I bought Charlie from the Inuit people in the, far, in the far north of off the northern coast of Canada, out on the Arctic Ocean on an island there, and I bought him and so that he could walk at my side to protect me from polar bears. His job had been to keep the polar bears out of the village and keep the people safe. So, of course, he was a, a perfect companion for me.
0: And so, it, it, that it, was he a puppy at that point in time, or how old was he? Oh, no,
2: he, he was probably about eight or nine years old.
0: Oh, wow. So you had him quite a few years. Yes, we did. Amazing. What was the scariest thing, out of all these adventures that you have, what was the scariest moment that you can remember?
2: Well, facing up to a polar bear standing six feet away from you, and you're staring into those little black eyes, realizing there's really nothing that can be done on my end. Um, it's all up to the bear. And uh, I just hoped that he would take my, take me off his menu as quickly as possible. And um, apparently I didn't look too appetizing, so off he went.
0: <laughs> I remember a great story that you had told was, uh, I believe it's when you were walking with the Gobi Desert that you and your husband um, ran into the Chinese. Oh, yes. Can you tell us that story? Well,
2: we were walking, we walked um, 1,600 miles across the Gobi Desert. And uh, we were on the Mongolian side of the um, Chinese border um, as we crossed the desert, and of course we had been told if we if we if we if we go if we walk across the, the um, across the uh, border into China, we would be immediately shot. So um, of course that was a good reason to stay in the in the, in the right country, Mongolia. And uh, but because every map we had showed the border. In some places, to be in different different places, it wasn't aligned exactly the same on each map. So we did um, accidentally cross the border, um, and then of course uh, we were caught, um, interrogated for several hours, um, and the uh, our interrogator, a captain, a military captain, felt very important. He had these two foreigners under his control. Um, but he could find nothing incriminating in our in our um, we, had, we were leading two camels we called them Tom and jerry they They um, went through every single thing that that we had loaded onto the two camels, but nothing was found that could incriminate us because they immediately. Uh, accused us of being drug smugglers well of course that was ridiculous they knew it but they there was just too a a moment for them for this man to let go
0: i'm sure they probably sit at their check post for years on end never seen another exactly. person
2: I, I, it, we were just it was just perfect for them at last something to do <laughs> and uh and so and a way to use it uh, earn a paycheck as, as miserable as the paycheck is for those people and so uh, finally after many hours um I decided that I'd had enough of all this questioning. It we just went on and on, and getting nobody—you know, nobody—it was nobody was going anywhere with the silly questions. And so I—I I stood up to my entire five foot three, and this man was quite a bit taller than I. Um, and I told him because he—we figured he would probably be in his thirties, where I, I was sixty-three. So we had seniority over him, and that's very important in that culture. Um, Juniors must always, at all times, under all circumstances, respect their elders. So I reminded him of his bad manners, that he hadn't shown us the correct procedure and and the the correct respect according to his um, societal rules. And I just told him that it was totally unacceptable, his behaviour, and that his countrymen would be be totally ashamed of him. Well, this really drove home the point that I was trying to make to him. And so he suddenly changed his... uh, whole course of action we became his very best friends and um and finally he did send us on our way with a very merry wave and a and a good wishes and so forth it couldn't have been better but it was touch and go for a while because he did keep reminding us that he, he had every right to shoot us on the spot
0: well i think that our culture needs a little lesson in that as well and if anybody can do that you can helen <laughs> so how you're you're working on a sure working on the next adventure we're going to talk about that when we come back from the break but you are available to speak to classrooms to organizations I know you come and speak to women in business and we have you back every year you win speaker of the year pretty much every year that you come to our group and the value that we get out of you speaking is you are so inspirational it's really really hard to say oh you know I'm not I'm not going to be able to get those clients that I want to get. And then you come in and and show us how, um, like you said, five foot three and, you know, over the age of 60 can do all these incredible things. I walk out of there with no excuses, absolutely none. And so you're so inspiring. So how does, um, are you available then to do presentations? I speak speak to corporate
2: America, um, nonprofit groups, clubs, of course, schools. Um, And I have a a very heavy speaking schedule. All of my speaking fees support Adventure Classroom. So we're basically self-supported, although we are looking for sponsors because we're we're looking to expand our Adventure Classroom work a great deal. And so, of course, we're looking for sponsors. But all of my speaking fees go into Adventure Classroom. And, uh, of course, my books, um, I have three books, uh, Polar Dream, the, the story of my walk to the pole, Three Among the Wolves, the story of of our year with wolves and then walking the Gobi when Bill and I walked the Gobi Desert, um, most of the proceeds of those also go to adventure classrooms.
0: Excellent. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more with Helen Thayer about how she plans for these things, how this all comes together. It's a great lesson for those of us that are entrepreneurs or have goals in mind on on how someone reaches incredible goals. It probably is uh, a lot more methodic than you might think. You're listening to Walk the Talk with Kim. Yay. yeah. Looking round the room, I can tell that you are the most beautiful girl in the
1: room In the whole wide
3: room mm. Hi, I'm Jerry Pearson, and since 1977, we at the Pearson Law Firm have guided individuals and their families through the legal process to seek justice and restitution in insurance disputes and personal injury claims. At the Pearson Law Firm, we work hard to secure justice and civil matters with a network of resources, a wealth of experience, and a compassionate attitude. That's the Pearson Promise. Contact us at 1-800-423-8473. That's 1-800-423-8473 for a free, Case evaluation, or check us out at walkthetalkwithkim.com.
0: Remember the pink tow truck? It was a Seattle icon. But did you know the mastermind behind the marketing was also one of Seattle's successful entrepreneurs? Learn life lessons from Ed Lincoln by reading his new autobiography, Life Through the Rear View Mirror. Available at area bookstores and online, go to walkthetalkwithkim.com and click on the link. Hello, this is Kim Mariano of Walk the Talk with Kim. The reality is staggering. South Africa has one of the highest incidences of HIV AIDS in the world. This fact results in millions of orphans left in the care of other family members, friends, or fending for themselves in child-headed households. Focus on Batemba offers orphans and vulnerable children a new direction in life through loving foster care homes with committed parents and a real opportunity for a good education. Please consider sponsoring a child to receive the needed stability to change their world. Go to BatembaKids.org or follow the links from walkthetalkwithkim.com.
1: Are you stuck? Are you plagued by a toxic relationship? Are you frustrated with a lack of motivation? Workforce Evolution offers classes that explain why people behave the way they do and how to change patterns that wreak havoc on business and relationships in order to accelerate innovation and creativity. Go to WorkforceEvolution.com to find out how you
4: can join a free class. That's WorkforceEvolution.com or call 425-888-9790. Alternative to what? Alternative to everything else out there on the radio, Alternative Talk, 1150
1: AM. Yeah, depending on the street, ooh. And when, when I, I saw you at my maid's place, 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 I thought, so why is she doing? At my maid's place,
0: how did they get? You're listening to Walk the Talk with Kim. So for those of you that are going, what is Eric playing? Eric, tell us what you're playing. <laughs> That's
1: just some Flight of the Concords. the most beautiful girl in the room. Right. And, and the reason why? 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 Yes. Because they're Kiwis, just like right. our guest today, Helen Thayer. So we're playing all music from New Zealand. All for the New Zealand here.
0: kind of music. I like it. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Walk the Talk with Kim, and we're talking with Helen Thayer. Helen, do you do you get a chance to go back to New Zealand often?
2: Yes, every now and again. Yes, I do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've never been. Um, it, I always see pictures. It looks beautiful.
2: Yes, it is a it is a, a beautiful country. Although I find that uh, many places in America are beautiful also. So uh, I guess it's just where your, your heart is. And my ha- mine happens to be in two countries, so I consider myself very lucky.
0: Oh, good for you. Well, and you're you're very world travel. Is there any place that you haven't been that you'd really like to go? Um.
2: Well, uh, there's so many places. Africa, the African continent, is a wealth of educational information there. But the problem is they keep fighting each other, and it's important that we don't become part of a, you know, caught up in the middle of some civil war. And so it's very difficult. But um, I've wanted ever since I was a child. I've wanted to go live with the pygmies in the Congo. Uh, but the fighting is so bad there, there's no way we would live through it. So mm. I'm just waiting patiently, and I'm hoping that in my lifetime that I'm able to go there and do that, because uh, that would be amazing. These people live in the forest, and uh are just amazing people. Now um, most... but there are so many places in Africa I would like to go.
0: Mm, that sounds wonderful. I mean, the most of these places that you talk about are so remote.
2: Yes, they are. We tend to go to the very remote places because, this is where the indigenous cultures are living the traditional lifestyles. Um, but Afri- we've, we've spent a lot of time in Africa. Um, but it's it's amazing. Just uh, And the animals there, of course, uh, when we lived with the Maasai, uh, they took us out among the animals. And we actually lived two weeks with a pride of 14 lions. And wow. uh, that was an amazing experience because we had the Maasai warriors with their spears. Accompanying us, of course, all the time, twenty-four hours a day. But and they knew which which uh, pr- pride of lions would be, they, they knew which ones would be safe and which ones were not safe. So <clears throat> we, we we and we lived with them way, way deep uh, in the back country of Tanzania.
0: What makes a pride safe and unsafe? Is it just the mentality of the individual lions, or is it how well they're fed?
2: Well, if they have been, um, if they're in an area where there's a lot of uh, food. Um, for them um, they tend to be happier um, <clears throat> if the male is a rather a contented soul um, and not too too combative not too uh, aggressive uh, the pride tends to be rather low-key but then you come upon another pride and things have not gone well for them perhaps um, food has been shorted lately um, perhaps predators have taken some cubs uh, perhaps the, the and the family is just in an uproar, they're unhappy, very much like human families right. would be when there's a tragedy.
0: Oh, amazing! So it's best
2: to stay a long way away from those ones
0: because yeah, they're not going to be up for taking pictures.
2: No, they, well, they, well, they'd see you and regard you as prey. But uh, a well-fed pride, um, they will look at you and well, you're not, you don't look too good. You, <sighs> You know, you don't look like a nice uh, gazelle or something like that. You know, something. You look something. a little sinewy. Yeah, but sinewy. You're standing <laughs> on two legs, and that doesn't seem to work well either. And
0: <laughs> amazing. So, tell us when you decide to go on an adventure. Um, you, I'm sure that even that process of deciding where you're going to go is carefully thought out. But how far in advance do you have to plan, and kind of what's that process, and what are some things that you think? we can learn um, as we set goals and, and go to achieve goals in our own lives?
2: Well, it's very important, I believe, that to start with, it's, p- it's important to turn our dreams into goals. And we have to remember that age is no barrier to our dreams and goals, uh, not at all, whether we're young or middle-aged or older, it doesn't matter. And so once the goal is set, become passionate about really believe in it, don't be half-hearted about it, and then plan. Figure it out, how are you going to do this? And but, but don't take the first step toward that goal until the plan is completely in place. And as I tell my audiences, sometimes it'll take five minutes to put a plan together, but many times it doesn't. And when I walked to the pole, it took me two years to figure that one out. And then walking the, the Gobi Desert, it took five years. And so um, it takes time. It takes patience. And um, we plan in every tiny detail. We leave absolutely nothing out, nothing, because our lives depend on our planning. If we mess up, we're not going to come back. And so um, the planning is so important. And then, of course, once you take that first step, because you've planned so well, then you have every right to be very confident in yourself. And off you go. And then persistence takes over. And we have to remember that. We don't have to reach our goals just in one giant step. We can take one tiny step at a time. Just one more step, and one more step, just one more step at a time. When I was um, walking to the pole, and uh, the last seven, I was out there a month. The last seven days, seven days, I was starving because the, the, a huge storm over 100 miles an hour winds had blown away most of my food and fuel, and so I had five walnuts for each of the next seven days. The last seven days of the expedition, and of course, um, and very little to drink, and so with the starvation and dehydration, my body really shut down. But even when my body had shut down and was really not wanting to go anywhere, my mind was still strong because I believed in my goal, and I had planned well, and I really, I was really persistent, and I kept going. Then it was really one step at a time. In fact, for the last. Five hours before I reached the pole, I counted my steps, one to a hundred. And every time I, I, I counted the step, I could see myself. I pictured myself standing at the pole. So my mind pulled me on like a magnet. It pulled that tired, dehydrated, starving body onward, whether it wanted to go or not. My mind took me there in the end.
0: And so when you're at that point where you're going, okay, my body is shutting down, which could mean that you're facing death. Mm-hmm. how how does a goal override for you? I mean, did you could have turned around, or could you? I mean, did you yeah, have an option? I could option? have
2: taken my radio out and said I've had it come and get me. You know, the airplane would have come and got me. But I didn't have to do that because I believed I could make it. You see, even for starvation and dehydration, I had trained for that in the Cascade Mountains. We live in the foothills of the Cascades between Stahomish and Granite Falls. And we we'd gone into the mountains, and I and I had actually trained for starvation and dehydration in the mountains every year. I would spent two weeks just training for that every year, so that we know. Uh, my husband trains for it also. We know what starvation feels like. We know what dehydration feels like. We know how to handle it physically and mentally, and we need to keep going. You know, we just know. We just it's, it becomes so easy for us to continue on even through that adversity.
0: So how do you, um, and this is probably a little bit more of a a technical question, but just in case any of our listeners happens to get lost in the woods, how do you prepare for starvation and and dehydration? I mean, what are some things that you need to know to keep yourself alive in those situations?
2: Well, um, beforehand, of course, the way we train for it is that we simply go out, no dinner, nothing to eat or drink the night before, nothing to eat or drink for breakfast, put a heavy pack on, full of food, and fuel to, and and, water and liquids, and we um, set off and do a 26 mile hike, and then finally, when everything starts shutting down, we sit down and eat and drink. That um, so we know, you know, we, we know how to handle it. And each time we do it, we try to go farther before having to mm-hmm. before having to sit down and, and take in food and liquid. But um, it, it's very important in going out. And in fact, I have on my website, um, on the Adventure Classroom website, I have a an awareness, a preparedness um, a site where I talk about how to be prepared for the wilderness, how to, you know, what to do to go, what you should do if you're lost. And the main thing is when a person is lost in the wilderness, don't keep going, hoping something will work out. Stop. The moment you realize that you're lost or you're not quite sure of your way, stop. And look behind you and see if you recognize anything. See if there's any way that you can retrace your steps and then and then start taking in in your, your environment. If darkness is approaching, right away, set up a, a place that you'll be safe for camping, um, to where you might be warm as possible. And when you go out in the mountains, even for a day hike, you should take extra clothing and some extra food anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we often hear about hikers that... Um, we're just going to you know, take a quick two-hour tour and the next thing you know they're in yeah, dire straits the, three that days that later.
2: And the people are, remind, are relying far too much on cell phones these days. Oh, well, if something happens, I'll get my cell phone out. What they don't realize is that uh, you might have to climb to a very high ridge to get any sort of reception if you're lucky.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I know so, that uh, for horseback riding, I go out quite often on, on horseback out in the woods, and you don't have to go that far, and you're out of cell phone service. That's
2: right. So you can't rely on that. You've really got to go prepared to come back.
0: That You would think that would be self-explanatory. <laughs>
2: yes, yes. But some, to some people, uh, we've seen people with the most... Uh, the this awful footwear. You wonder, how in the world did you ever leave the car? <laughs> and then um, a tiny, if they have a pack, it's a tiny postage stamp uh, that they're calling a pack. And no water. They might have a small bottle of water that they hold in their hand or something. And and we've come upon, I'm, an, I'm also an emergency medical technician. We've come upon people, twisted ankles and so forth. And you say, well, you know, where is your first aid kit? Um, let me get, get it out for you. And I can help you. Oh, I don't have one. Uh, well, where's your pack? Oh, I don't have one. Oh, well, where's your extra sweater? I, I don't have one. Uh, so you end up digging into your own pack and dressing these people and fixing them up with your own stuff. But you wonder why did you ever leave home like this?
0: They were lucky. You were their contingency plan, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's about it, I guess. <laughs> but that would be the hope and the not, prayer,
0: right? <laughs> they're not
2: going to meet a lot. You know, sometimes they're just not going to meet any people.
0: Right. Sometimes you're not lucky. You've
2: got to depend on yourself, but you have to have planned well. You have to, even for the simplest day hike. Uh, make sure you know the planning is important there too. To, to put, take a pack, take plenty of water, take plenty of food, and and think about. Oh, now what if I were to twist my my ankle and I have to sit down the trail and wait a few hours for for help? If I got something warm to put on, um, if I got uh, some snack bars that I could chew on while I wait, and things like that.
0: It can turn very quickly. You yes, had you had mentioned um, that before you even take that first step, you plan. Mm-hmm, yes. And so, what I'm hearing you say is that it's all about making sure that you've got that contingency for anything that can and will go wrong. I'm going to make an assumption that you didn't expect your food to get blown away, because if you had expected that, it wouldn't have been in a situation where it could have been blown away. Is that true?
2: Well, I, I, I you know, on these sorts of expeditions in areas where you can get extremely high winds over a hundred miles an hour, you know, that can happen. Um, so I was aware that this could happen, but when it, it was a very peculiar way in which it all came about. Um, I was, I was knocked to the ground by the first, uh, gust of wind ahead of the storm. I was knocked down onto the ice. And, um, then, uh, the wind was so powerful, it tore the zipper open of my sled, and then everything was pouring out. Now, if I had been caught about probably five seconds later, I would have had a tie-down strap down on it, but just as I was just about to close everything up and pull down on those tie-down straps, I, just before that happened, I was hit with the wind. Mm-hmm. Well, then, of course, things were disappearing from my sled and food and fuel and everything was going. Um, but I did have those walnuts left, and I figured I can still make
0: this. Mm. Well, I was just thinking in terms of business, right? So we plan and plan and plan and plan, but inevitably something is going to happen that you can't plan for.
2: Oh, oh yes. Um, uh, every, every expedition we go on, something turns up that we didn't think of. And so the way, we, the way we handle this is that, okay, uh, we have planned so well, except po- po- possibly for this, but because the, uh, the rest of the plan is in place and it's worked so well, we, we've got our act together, we can handle this. Mm-hmm. And the main thing is when something crops up, no point throwing your hands in the air and say, oh, my, I'm done. That's when you have to take, take just take it with both hands and enjoy the challenge of overcoming of, uh, whatever has happened to you.
0: I agree. Excellent. And this,
2: and this is all, all the way through life, not only on expeditions. Expeditions just teach us how to deal with life.
0: Excellent. I love that idea. Enjoy the challenge. You can get more information on Helen as well as book her for um, speaking engagements, which I highly, highly, highly recommend if you're in that situation, uh, at adventureclassroom.org. You can
2: also contact me at... Um uh, www.HelenThayer.com.
0: Helen Thayer, T H A Y E R com.org that's
2: right yeah dot com they okay can email me anytime
0: okay and we'll make sure we get that information Lindsay will put that she's nodding yes of course she's going to put that on walk the talk with kim we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to wrap up with helen thayer you're listening to walk the talk with kim thank you for listening to alternative talk am
1: 1150 I I oh
4: Have you heard the phrase, the beatings will continue until morale improves? To organizations, employees are the biggest assets and biggest fans. If they're not feeling heard or appreciated, the bottom line will suffer. For mission driven organizations, the reliance on employees and managers to rally around the core messaging is critical for success. At Walk the Talk for Success, we provide leadership best practices, education, and communication strategies for mission driven organizations. Whether you're a business of one, middle manager, or leader in a large company or nonprofit, our experiential workshops and focused on organizational psychology will assist you in achieving success with your messaging and vision. Call for a free consultation today, 425-888-9790, or check us out at www.walkthetalkwithkim.com. Walk the talk for success, achieving your message through understanding human behavior.
3: Hi, I'm Jerry Pearson, and at our firm, whether we're working on an automobile crash case or helping a client who's been injured by a defective product, we focus on justice. We're passionate about serving our clients. Our successful approach focuses on the right issue at the right time. With the best tools and expertise available, we focus on collaboration and cooperation. Clients support that process, and they respect our abilities to manage the legal process, to demystify it, and to explain choices and opportunities, and also their responsibilities. Contact us at 1-800-423-8473 or pearsonlawfirm.com. That's P-E-A-R-S-O-N lawfirm.com. Or you can check us out at walkthetalkwithkim.com.
0: Remember the pink tow truck? It was a Seattle icon. But did you know the mastermind behind the marketing was also one of Seattle's successful entrepreneurs? Learn life lessons from Ed Lincoln by reading his new autobiography, Life Through the Rear View Mirror. Available at area bookstores and online. Go to walkthetalkwithkim.com and click on the link.
4: Proud to bring variety to your radio dial. Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Walk the Talk with Kim. I'm Kim Mariano, and we are wrapping up our episode today. Listening to Helen Thayer, and uh, Helen talked about the adventure classroom. Now, you've taken pictures for what magazines?
2: Um, I've I've taken photos for, for National Geographic, and I've uh, you know a National Geographic lecturer and also a heli hiking guide.
0: Wonderful. And so the guide you take. Other adventurers that are looking for adventure?
2: Yes, they uh, would send me into the uh, mostly the Rockies, in uh, Canadian Rockies, um, with clients and uh, go up by he- um, into the mountains by helicopter and hike for the day and then helicopter back to a very nice lodge. I must say, it uh, all seems very plush to me when I <laughs> compare it to our, to our very basic uh, lifestyle on expeditions.
0: And so, um, how often are you are you spending your time I mean, you're hiking, you're writing, you're planning, I mean, is all this go on simultaneously? How how much time do you spend at home?
2: Well, I'm when I'm at home I try to get my writing in and uh I'm planning for expeditions and of course uh, I'm a gardener so I love to garden and so forth. And we have twelve acres and lots of rescued animals on our place, so um, there's animals to feed and garden to fix, and and the writing and so. Forth. I lead a very very. There's not much, not much space, not many minutes of, in a day in my life when I'm when I'm really doing nothing. And then just um, at the end of this year, we're hoping to leave for northeast Ethiopia to go to the Danakil Desert. Um, we'll probably walk around 800 to 1,000 miles, leading our our camels again and live with the Afar tribe, that's A-F-A-R tribe. Um, they lead a tremendously difficult life. It's a, it's the toughest, it's reputed to be the toughest desert in the world. It's hot and it's below sea level and it's volcanic and it's sterile and it's, it's everything uh, that they describe as just really a tough place to live. But these people live there, so we really need to go there and live with them, learn their lifestyle and... Uh, Bring back the information.
0: Why? I'm looking at this from a systems perspective, Helen, not a um, a philosophical one. But why would um, people live like that? I mean, one would think that they could walk to civilization and do better. Why? Why do you think that these groups choose our
2: version of civilization is not theirs? Mm. Um, They uh, there are people living in the most sterile, difficult. um, What we might. I might say, the most dreadful condition by choice. But they, their ancestors have been there for hundreds of years. They've had this figured out. And, uh, you know, these people don't have um, electronics and those sorts of things. Uh, uh, they wouldn't know what to do with them if you gave them it to them. And they're very happy without it. Um, one thing that we've learned in our travels is that ours is not the only way to live. Um, there are... These cultures, every one of them, teaches us something, and it's very humbling to realise that they don't need what the stuff that we need, that we think we need. Um, they do very nicely without it, and uh, um, and so they have no desire to uh, to step out out of that into into uh, the Western type world.
0: And so, how do you learn about these um, different organizations? Do you have people that call you up and say, "Hey, I think you need to come here"? I mean, how? I mean, some somewhere there must be someone who knows. How do you get in touch with that that group? Is there like an organization? Oh, we have or? an
2: African contact. We have a contact in various parts of the world, and we have we have a, a North African and a, and a and a Central and a South African contact, and. um for instance, uh, when we lived with the Bushmen, the Masai, the Toga, and now the and the Berbers, and now the Afa, they go in and they explain to the tribe who we are, our age, and our age is a huge advantage. If we were, um, if we were 50 or below, uh, we wouldn't get in. But my husband's now 85, I'm 74, and so we get in really very easily because of our age. And the contact goes in. He explains why we want to come in. That we want to leave our Western ways at home. We want to learn about, you know, how these people to to live and uh, um, learn everything from them. And um, and because we're seniors, uh, we're readily accepted.
0: Mm. Do you find that other cultures like this? I I hear what you're saying is that they seem to be much more respectful.
2: Oh, extremely so. The children are very respectful, very polite. Um, We've never met um, impolite children of any of these cultures that we have lived with, and we've lived with a lot of them now. Um, there's, there's a lot of respect for age, um, and a lot of respect for wisdom, and uh, it, it's, it's really very refreshing to live with these various tribes, people that we that meant that would be considered in the Western world to be um, uncivilized, um, crude, of uh, all those sorts of words. But those words don't, we don't use those words. Um, it doesn't really, it does not apply to these people. Their, um, their way of living is um, exactly what suits them. It works very well. Um, they're at peace with themselves. They're at one with the, the world, their environment. Um, they, uh, they, they learn to live through adversity. Uh, and they do a lot better than we do in many ways.
0: And so how I know what you're doing is you're trying to bring this awareness um, through your uh, education, the adventure classroom. But how how ready do you think people are to hear this? I mean, are you finding that more and more people are interested in the story or do you think that people just
2: it's a it's a big uh, we're finding that it's really uh, of increasing interest rapidly so uh the the other cultures of the world how do they live? what do they do? what do they think how how can any of their ways apply to what i'm doing um how how do they work with the environment and all these sorts of things and and uh there's a there's more interest now, perhaps fifteen years ago, people wouldn't have cared because there was only one one culture, and that's our own, but no uh, now people are ready to listen and to learn um people are more aware of, of other cultures now and there's a there is a real thirst for knowledge.
0: When are you going to Ethiopia?
2: Um we hope October, November.
0: So we're going to be keeping track of you here. We'll get your website up on our website so that people can follow. And again, if you want to uh, book uh, Miss Helen Thayer uh, and her husband to come, or if you're interested in reading some of her books that I highly recommend, there's Polar Dream, Three Among Wolves, and Walking the Gobi. You can go to HelenThayer.com or, of course, AdventureClassroom.org. Helen, thank you for coming on the show today.
2: It's been my pleasure. Thank
0: you very much. Thank you. You're listening to Walk the Talk with Kim. We want to thank you for listening today and, of course, to thank our sponsor Pearson Law Firm. Expect expert representation and a kind, compassionate attitude. Check us out on walkthetalkwithkim.com where you can get a replay starting tomorrow of this show and you can hear Helen and her th- stories again. And again, we'll put all of the information on Helen Thayer and Adventure Classroom on Walk the Talk with Kim and walkthetalkwithkim.com. We want to thank all of you for listening today and please look around think about your your earth think about your environment and have a beautiful day